thanks everybody for being here this morning. It's a delight to get to have real people out there while I'm talking instead of simply the cameras. Not that you watching on the internet aren't real. I know you're real, theoretically, but uh, you seem like a disembodied spirit to me <laughs> in some ways because I don't see you, though you see this. But uh, because of, hey coach, because of our great internet ministry that, that not only sees that this live streams, but also that these can be played later, uh, it occurs to me that uh, today and, and many days that I speak, I'm speaking about some subjects that some people have very firm opinions about that are important to some people for very personal reasons, and they don't agree with me on everything. And so I want to make sure that anybody who watches this on the internet or you who are here understand what I'm doing is teaching where I'm from. This is where I am on these issues. Uh, I, I'm not so bold as to tell you that I have everything all figured out and if you disagree with me, I'm right and you're wrong and shut the door on the subject, we're through. What I am telling you is, is this is the fruit of my research, uh, this is the fruit of my life, this is the fruit of my prayer. This is the fruit, hopefully, of God's teaching and, and leading. But, but I'm not through on this earth, and so I'm continuing to grow and all the rest. And I say that because this morning, we're going to dig deeply into the fourth commandment, which is the one to keep the Sabbath. Now, there's a, a number of different religious groups. The largest one that I know of is the Seventh-day Adventist who believe that this commandment is one that needs to be honored today. And so the Seventh-day Adventist church actually meets and convenes and has their worship on the Sabbath, on Saturday, rather than on Sunday. And I've got some good friends who are very devout in that church, marvelous, wonderful people. Some of them, uh, at least one, reads the emails that I send out with these lessons, so I'm a little bit behind on those right now. But, but if they have a chance to watch or they have a chance to listen, God bless you. I'm not uh, uh, wagging my finger in your face in any way with this lesson. Now, I've also got a good bit of people who are uh, Jewish who tune into this, and uh, uh, I would say to you, uh, 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 Shabbat Shalom, um, good Sabbath, but uh, that would be a mistake because today's not the Sabbath. <laughs> today, today is not the Sabbath, but yesterday was. And uh, uh, Shabbat Shalom would be a good greeting that you might get if you were in Israel on the Sabbath and you were greeting someone. Shalom, of course, means peace. It's a greeting. It's a, 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 a meaning a, a variety of things. But, but basically, uh, uh, I hope you prosper. I hope it's a great day type thing. Shabbat being Sabbath in Hebrew. Now, if we were to put up the days of the week... And we were to see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Please understand that when we do that, we're looking at a Western description of the week, not a Jewish description. In fact, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are named after gods, goddesses, and planets. Thursday comes from the Norse mythology, it's the day dedicated to the Norse god Thor. And that's why it's Thor's day. 
And so what we have done in the West is we have taken the, the, the pagan gods and their understanding of some of those pagan gods as the planets, and we have melded them into our days of the week. Not so the Jewish days of the week. If you want to learn the Jewish days of the week, it's real easy. It's first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and the only day of the week that has a name is Sabbath, Shabbat. All the other days are just called by their numbers. That's why in the New Testament, when on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, when the, the ladies go to the tomb, it says, and on the first day of the week. That's what they called Sunday, the first day of the week. And they got these names in part from the creation account itself where and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Doesn't say Sunday. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Doesn't say Monday. And so Judaism is instilled and steeped and uses these systems. And so the Sabbath itself is already set out simply by its name from all the other days within Judaism. Now, I got some interesting emails this week. One of the emails said, is the Sabbath originally Sunday or Saturday, and does it matter which day? Sincerely, and I've blacked out the name. Another one was sent to me that said, Excited, so excited to hear this message. God spoke to me very strongly about this about, uh, t about 28 to 30 years ago. Life-changing. I was raised, if you're not doing, you're lazy. So I love these questions. I love these issues. I love to look at this. We're going to do it with three different focuses. All right? Focus number one, I just want to look at the commandment on its face, the face value of what it has to say. And then after we focus there, our second focus is going to be, how does this commandment reflect God? Because that's the driving depth that we're using for this series. Law isn't simply a statement of yes or no, do or don't, crime and punishment. Law is a reflection of the character, the ethics, the morality, the, 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 the concerns of the lawgiver. And so we want to look at that and see how that law on the Sabbath reflects the character, the nature, the care, the concerns of God. And then the third focus we're going to do is very simple. We're just going to look at the implications for you and me. What difference does this make to us? How do we conduct ourselves because of this? So with that, let's start at the beginning. Let's look at it on face value. The Ten Commandments, if we throw them up there, this one is found in, uh, I'm using the version out of Exodus 20, though it reads about the same in Deuteronomy, at least at the beginning. But Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Zachor et Yom Hashabot. Remember our Shabbat, HaShabbat. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now that's God's commandment. And then God goes into some detail. 
In verses 9 through about 11 or so, he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock gets the day off. And you can't dump it all on somebody who's an immigrant living among you. The sojourner who's within your gates gets the day off. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God instructs Moses who instructs the people to remember the Sabbath day and hearkens back to the creation account. And if you go back to Genesis 2, you read, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now we're going to come back to this in a little bit. But that is the core instruction that you've got inside the Ten Commandments. And what I'd like to do is look at other biblical instructions that accompany that and see what they have to say about the Sabbath. So far, we're just told don't work. Honor it, keep it holy. That's also conveyed in Exodus 31 verse 14. God says again, don't work. You work, you violate it. You're going to be outcast at best. At worst, you're going to be killed. It's serious stuff. Don't work. Okay? Then a little bit later in Exodus 35, we're told don't kindle a fire inside your home. It's not that big a deal to us in Houston. We're, we're more worried about can we turn on the air conditioner most of the year. For those of you who don't know, who are just on the internet, in Houston we only have two seasons. It's summer and January. Now, don't start a fire is a commandment about the, the Sabbath. That's it in the law, in the Torah. You've now exhausted what it says about the Sabbath commandments specifically. I mean, it says these things in bits and pieces, but it's nothing more than a repetition of what is here, what I've put up here. Now, if you read through other parts of the Old Testament, you'll read a lot of things that happened on the Sabbath. Even in the Torah, you'll read that on the Sabbath, they weren't supposed to collect manna in the wilderness. They'd get a double portion of manna on the day before the Sabbath, on the sixth day, so that on the seventh day they wouldn't go out and gather manna. So you've got some stories like that and some instructions about how to sacrifice on the, the Sabbath. But in terms of how you and I behave, we've exhausted it there. If you go into the prophets, especially Jeremiah, Jeremiah in chapter 17 and some various verses there says over and over, don't carry heavy things from your house. Okay? 
If you go to Nehemiah, which is written after Israel has been, or, or Judah has been captured, the Jews have been captured by Babylon. They've lived in Babylon, some of them for almost 100 years before they came back. Some of them come back, some of them don't. They're trying to figure out the Sabbath. And Nehemiah gets on them and says, don't transact business on the Sabbath. Don't go buying things from other people and selling things to other people. Don't do it. Now, that in terms of the written Old Testament is about all you're going to get. But what we have to do is look at history for just a moment. Now, most of you probably know some of this or all of this, so I'm being a little repetitive, but I want people who may not know it to get a hold of it. Israel are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, his son. They go to Egypt, and in Egypt, they're in captivity for 10-plus generations. And while they're in captivity in Egypt, they become slaves, workers, and God pulls them out of that slavery. And that's when they go to the mountain on Sinai and God gives the law. Now, Israel's supposed to live under this law, but they do a pretty pathetic job. No disrespect intended. I'm not saying I'd done any better. But generations come and generations go. And generations come that don't regard the law. They don't read the law. They don't keep up with the law. And they start blending in with local religions and local ideas and becoming more modern. And lo and behold, the law is relegated to back dusty chambers where it's not even found for generations. And there would be times where the laws pulled out, but the law never really was the rudder of Israel's ship the way God intended it to be. And so the prophets came in, the ten northern tribes of Israel. Israel split up, ten northern tribes and few in the south called Judah. The northern tribes, Israel or Samaria, whatever you want to call them, they get carted off, they're dispersed, who knows where they are today. But the southern kingdom of Judah, those tribes hang on for another hundred years or so. And God's sending them prophets saying, you're ignoring what I told you to do. And if you continue to ignore it, you're going to get in trouble. I'm just, you're not any different than any of the other nations. I'm just going to let Babylon come take you off. And Babylon does. And destroys the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what do you have? You've got the Jewish people living in a foreign country, unable to sacrifice, unable to go to the temple, unable to have priestly services, unable to do the things that were built around temple worship. So what do they do? Well, they know because Jeremiah told them that this came about because they didn't follow God's instructions in the law. So while they are in Babylon, they began to intensely study 
the law. And the law becomes their identity. It's not, oh, gee, let's go to the temple and, and sacrifice a dove or a lamb. Now it's, we can't go do that. So instead, we'll study the law intently. We'll put it under a microscope and we will figure this law out in every detail and then we'll follow it. And they do. In some ways beyond conception of what they do. So for the Sabbath, they come up with like 39 things, categories of things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath, extrapolating from those verses we read. By the way, those are still followed by many practicing Jews. They will not turn on a light switch. Say, well, what did, where was that? It says not to kindle a fire in your home. And when you turn on a light switch, that flowing of electricity is either a spark, back when light switches did it that way, or the bulb itself contains some type of electrical charge. And that's viewed as kindling a fire in the home. So it's not to be done. Now, by the time of Jesus and the New Testament, you've got different Jewish groups that are fragmented in different places. You've got some that are out in the diaspora that are just spread out, dispersed throughout the Mediterranean, going to their synagogues and doing their thing. You've got the same thing going on in Galilee and areas around Jerusalem. In Jerusalem itself, you've got temple worship because they've rebuilt the temple. They've got the second temple. But you've also got these other little communities that have fragmented off that are saying, man, that established religion, they're just going through the rituals. We're going to do it right. We're going to be zealots. We're going to be intense. Some of those communities found themselves around Qumran and the Dead Sea. And David Capes uh, reminded me, I see David out there, of the Damascus document among the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this is, a, this is an actual community document that taught people in that community how they were to behave to be godly people at the time of Jesus. So look at what the, the, the Jews had determined. These Jews had determined by the time of Jesus. Let's see if I can switch this over. And if that's big enough for you to be able to read it. Can you all read that, sort of? I take it by your silence that you're wearing a face mask. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And on the day of the Sabbath, no one should say a useless or stupid word. He's not to lend anything to his fellow. May I borrow a cup of sugar? Not today. He's not to discuss riches or gain. That's under the idea of transacting business. He's not to speak about matters of work or of the task to be carried out on the following day. Hey, uh, emergency email. Uh, you've got to figure out uh, what documents you're going to use at the hearing tomorrow. 
Sabbath. A, I shouldn't be reading my emails. And B, I better not be responding to them. And C, I don't even need to be thinking about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Certainly not speaking about it. No one is to walk in the field to do the work which he wishes on the Sabbath. You don't walk more than 1,000 cubits outside the city. Think of that as 1,500 feet. 1,500 feet would be, what, 50 yards? Yeah, 50 yards outside the city. No one is to eat on the Sabbath except what's been prepared. You prepare your meals ahead of time. And what's lost in the field he shouldn't eat. And don't drink except what there is in the camp. On the road, if you go down to bathe, drink where you stand, but don't draw it with a vessel. Doesn't send the foreigner to do what he wishes on the Sabbath day. That's the sojourner. No one is to wear dirty clothes. Or clothes which are in the chest. Unless they've been washed with water and rubbed with incense. No one should fast voluntarily on the Sabbath. No one should go after an animal to pasture it. Except for 1,550 yards. Don't raise your hand to strike with the fist. <laughs> no boxing on Sabbath day. If it's stubborn, don't remove it from your house. By the way, it's talking about animals here. No one should remove anything from the house to outside or outside it. If you're in a hut, remove nothing from it. Don't bring anything in. Don't open a sealed vessel. Don't wear perfumes when you're going out and coming in. Don't lift a stone or dust. The wet nurse doesn't lift the baby to go out or come in on the Sabbath. I mean, it just keeps going. Don't help your animal give birth on the Sabbath. Stay in there, pups. Tomorrow's the first day. If he makes it fall into a well or a pit, if you make your animal do it, you don't take it out on the Sabbath. Hey, Stay away from Gentiles on the Sabbath. Don't profane the Sabbath by riches or gain. If, if somebody falls into a place of water, don't take them out with a ladder or a rope or a utensil. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on. On and on and on. Now, that's the world at the time of Jesus. That's not the world as you read it in the Old Testament for Sabbath. But these were additional understandings and interpretations that the people had applied because they were convinced that they had been conquered because, as the prophet said, they'd violated the law and they don't want to violate it anymore. So that's what they're doing. Now, if you look at Jewish practice today, Jewish practice today is built around these, uh, okay, Lamed Tov, that's these letters here. Lamed Tov means 37. Avot Malacha, uh, Malachot would be plural, but they do it. Avot Malacha means forms of work. So those are the 39 forms of work. 
And those forms of work are centered around things associated with bread. You don't make it. You don't let it rise. You don't cook it. You don't blah, 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 blah. Don't get me wrong. They eat bread, typically challah bread, which is the braided bread to remind them of, of the, the captivity in Egypt and, and, and of, of the different strands of thoughts associated with the Sabbath. But, but they've got a group of commandments around bread. They've got a group of commandments around garments, how you make them, how you wear them, how you wash them, how you clean them, blah, 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 blah. And they've got that group. They've got a group of commandments around hides, how you tan them, how you skin them, how you do all of that. And then they've got a group of commandments around construction, carrying, building, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they break all of this down into 39 detailed forms of work you are to avoid. Now, the Sabbath's not all negative. It's also positive. And so in Jewish Sabbath practice today, it starts at sundown, dusk. Typically, they try and do it like, I don't know, 17 minutes. I'm not good at this, so I could have the details wrong. But you can watch the movie Fiddler on the Roof, and you can see how they get in a real big hurry to get there because they got to do it before the sun goes down. And you light two candles. If it's a house with men and women, it's generally the woman who lights the candles. And they say a prayer over the candles, and they say a prayer over the house and over the Sabbath. And they eat that first meal Sabbath night. And then the next morning, they have the morning, then they have an afternoon meal, and then generally an evening meal. But the food's all been prepared ahead of time. They'll light the candles and they'll do that. And the goal is not only to abstain from work and rest, but the goal is to remember what God has done and to look forward to the coming Messiah. That was the goal back in the time of Jesus. That is still ostensibly the goal today. Remember what God has done specifically bringing Israel out of Egypt and look forward to the Messiah and the future reign and the rest that is in God. And so you've got that time of remembrance, that time of forward looking, and you spend the rest of your time in rest and worship and being with your family and that's what Jewish Sabbath practice looks like today. Now, that's my effort for us to look and examine this on face value, both the Scripture and the history. What I'd like to do now is transform this to talk about how this reflects the nature of God. Remember, the premise behind this class is law reflects the nature, the care, the concerns, the morality of the law writer. In this circumstance, God is the law writer. So if we simply read the naked law, we're missing out on so much. We've turned it into rules and we've lost the beauty of beholding the rule maker. So there are lots of things that I believe the Sabbath teaches us about God. But I would like to zoom in first on the obvious one. God cares 
about you. God doesn't need the Sabbath. You say, wait a minute, what about creation? We'll get to that. God doesn't need the Sabbath. We do. God doesn't need to take a break. We do. God doesn't need for his engines to quit running. We do. I'll go a step further. God doesn't sleep. We do. We are not God. We have different needs than God. God does not set the law up as an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. The law has never been God just arbitrarily, just eh, capricious. I don't think I'm going to let him do that. No. Where God tells us what to do, he has reasons behind it. And one reason behind the Sabbath is you and I need the Sabbath. We need a time of not just rest, but a time of reflection upon God and what he's done in our life and what he will do. Part of what God does is provide for us. So you remember the Sabbath example I gave you of manna in the wilderness? God did not say, don't collect manna on the Sabbath. Tough. God said, I'm going to give you a double portion on the sixth day, then you don't go collect on the seventh. God is saying, I'm going to provide for you so you can have a day of rest, which you need. Well, doesn't God have a Puritan work ethic? Well, if a Puritan work ethic means you never take a day off, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Isn't God a workaholic? No, he's not. Doesn't God understand that if you want to get ahead, you got to kill it seven days a week? Wrong-o-bongo. God understands that he's going to provide for you and he's going to give, give you a life, like Jesus said, that, that's abundant. If you look at a passage like Mark 2, 23 through 28, it's very instructive on this point. Mark 2, 23 through 28. Ah, there. Let me go zoom, 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 zoom. Okay, one Sabbath. And again, remember, that's the day of the week. That's what it's called in Hebrew terminology. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Now, Sabbath law says if you were an Essene, which Jesus was not, that you weren't supposed to go more than 1,500 cubits or feet, 1,000 cubits. 50 yards from the city gates. But he's going through grain fields, and as they made their way, Jesus and his disciples, the disciples began 
to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That's the way Pharisees talked. And Jesus said to them, Hey, did you read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and the ones with him. They entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which wasn't lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. That was just called a stumper. That's just the kind of thing you ask the Pharisees, and they sit there, and then they start debating amongst themselves and arguing, and they're really stumped. But then Jesus gives his true comment here. Well, not that that wasn't true. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And by the way, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, in the Sabbath, when God gave that instruction, he was doing something for us. It wasn't, gee, I've got this Sabbath day and I've got to figure out how to make people respect it. No, the whole concept is one that is centered around God's care and provision for us. And I tell you that to say, God cares about you. He cares about your energy level. He cares about your activity. He cares about your ability to work, but he cares about your ability to recharge. He wants you to be all you can be. And if we simply look at the commandment and try to figure out how to do it or how not to do it and all the rest, and we ignore the fact that the Lord of the Sabbath made that for us and wants to bless us with that, then we're making a big mistake. Now, you may be saying, well, then why the big deal about it? Like, you're going to get kicked out and you're going to get killed if you don't honor the Sabbath. That's pretty harsh in the Old Testament. There are some more overlays of the Sabbath. If you recall when I talked about how you can put these laws in different buckets and how the water can slosh from one bucket to the next, the Sabbath commandment doesn't exist in only the bucket of God cares about you and me and how we get along. That water sloshes over into some other buckets, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if we want to see how it reflects the character of God, we've got to see first and foremost that it, it reflects his care about us. Now, we've got to move on because I don't want to miss the next point. I could have put it under reflects God, but I've decided instead to move it over to implications. What are the implications of this for you and me? Do we do Jewish practice? Do we have the 39 forms of work that we're to avoid? I think that within the framework of my own life, I have noticed a productivity and an attitude difference when I try to take time out each week from emails and work. And it's really not easy to do with my job. Because in my job, people think that you're 24-7 access. And they send, e they, they send emails, they have zero qualms, trying to set up meetings, phone conferences, etc. But I try really hard 
to have a time period where I say, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to leave that alone. I think it's also very important that I have a time each week to remember what God has done in my life and look forward. A time not only of rest, but a time of worship. Did you know there is a psalm that is a Sabbath psalm? Look at Psalm 92. See the headline? A psalm. A song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. I think that's it. I better put on my glasses. <laughs> to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. This is a song. It's not a song in the Church of Christ because you do it to the music of the lute and the harp. That's an inside joke I can make because I grew up in the Church of Christ and we're a cappella. Um, anyway, I'm sure y'all are laughing hilariously under your masks. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to sing praises. It's good to declare your steadfast love in the morning. It's good to declare your faithfulness by night. You have made me glad by your work. The works of your hands. How great are your works. Your thoughts deep. Look, this is a psalm of remembrance and a psalm of worship. And it's a psalm that looks forward as well. The stupid can't know and the fool can't understand that though the wicked sprout like grass and evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. Not so the righteous. The psalm goes on to talk about how they will flourish. So there, this is good. This is a time for me to do those things. That's a very clear implication. And so in response to the email, is the Sabbath originally Sunday or Saturday? Or does it matter which day? My answer would be where I land on this. Sabbath is a reference to Friday night to Saturday night. Sundown to sundown. Actually, they put a little time on each side of that to make sure they don't mistake. Usually it's till like three stars appear on Saturday night. That's when it's over. But sundown to sundown. Now, as a Christian, is that the day I choose to do it? Is that the day I need to do it? No, I don't believe that that matters as much as the principle. I base that off the writings of Paul. I think this is some of what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Romans, and this was a church that had been split between Jew and Gentile and was reuniting. And in the reuniting letter, Paul writes them. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Give thanks to God. You're, whether you're keeping kosher in diet or whether you're keeping uh, uh, Sabbath under Jewish law, do it unto the Lord. 
Now, I have zero, my, my time off, with the exceptions of personal emails that are kind of fun or important to me, my time off is Sunday after church. In a sense, though, church is part of my time off because I'm, I'm spending time in worship with God. And I think that's extremely important. And I think I need to do it regularly. I think it's marvelous that we are here. I think it's marvelous people watch this on the internet and take that time and dedicate it. And as for the email I got about so excited to hear this message, God spoke to me very strongly about this 28 to 30 years ago. Life-changing. I was raised, if you're not doing, you're lazy. You're not lazy. You're obedient, walking before the Lord. The Lord's not, not looking at you as frivolous. If you just had any downtime, but the downtime needs to include a recognition that God is there, that he's taken care of you and he will take care of you. Now, I could end this class here, but I'm not going to because if I do, you're going to miss the gold. I want to dig deeper. We've got seven, give me seven minutes. Because there's something incredibly profound that God has for you here. We go back to creation. The heavens and the earth were finished and the, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work he'd done. And on the seventh day, rested from all the work he'd done. Why did God rest? Was he tired? No. He rested because he was done. He was finished. So he was done. It is good. I'm done. Let's see it. He did his job and it was done. This is very important. You've got to understand, God didn't rest because he was tired. He gives us the Sabbath in part because we need it. But he's not like us. He rested because he was done. Now, here's the key. That's a reference to the creation in Genesis. But do we realize that we are a new creation? Paul said to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God who through Christ, reconciled us to himself. We are reunited in harmony with creator God as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, remember, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. When John tells about Jesus on the cross, John has Jesus say, to Telestai. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, to Telestai, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus completed the new creation, his work. And the whole gospel of John is a gospel that details how 
Christ has put together the new creation. John is the one who gives six miracles before this and says, Jesus did a lot more than these, but these were written that you might know, grow and continue in your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. There were six days of creation. John gives six miracles. Then Jesus says it's finished. Creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John begins, in the beginning was the Word. He's been echoing the creation story all the way through his gospel, and it's no less echoed here when Jesus says it is finished because the new creation begins there or is completed there, the, the work for the new creation. Jesus Christ finished his work on the new creation. And if you're reading the, the letter or the sermon that we call Hebrews, it shows this in the first chapter, the third verse. <clears throat> Book of Hebrews says, Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. See the creation reference? He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now look at this. After making purification for sins... That's the cross. Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sat down means he was through with his work. To sit in Hebrew is a word that sounds so much like Sabbath it's not even funny. But the Sabbath idea is an idea of resting or sitting. And, and, and ceasing your work. Jesus, having completed, having finished, after making, it's done. He rested. Jesus says it is finished and he rested. And this gets very, very important for you and me. Because we are given the chance to enter into the rest, the Sabbath of Christ. This is the way the writer of Hebrews says it. So while the promise of entering God's rest, the rest of Christ, still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Good news, gospel, came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they weren't united by faith with those who listened. Let me, let me back up for a moment and put this into context. You had Jewish believers in the Messiah who had reached a point where they were thinking, boy, I miss the old days. Miss that old religion of my youth. I, I think I can just go back and, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not as the Jesus Messiah, that's all good, but I just want to just be that Jew I was growing up. And the sermon of Hebrews is to let them know, no, you, you don't, Go back and embrace a shadow when the real person has entered the room. All of the, the experiences you had and those ceremonies and those rites that mean so much to you, 
They were a shadow of a reality found in Jesus. You don't need to go have the Day of Atonement and kill a goat. The Messiah himself has died for you. And so this book of Hebrews is written to reinforce this idea of you've got the fuller reality. Don't go embrace the foreshadowing. And that's why the writer is saying you want to enter into the Sabbath rest of Jesus. Look at this. God said, and it's quoting Psalm 95 here, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Even though God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. He's spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from his works. But he says in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter the rest. And those who formerly formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He appoints a day. Today. Today if you hear his voice. Whoops. Don't harden your hearts. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let's strive to enter that rest. Let's, let's do it. Now, it's not saying let's have a Sabbath in the sense of a ceremony. It's saying we need to respond in obedience. Obedience, uh, hupakuo in the Greek means to hear and to come under. We need to hear and to come under the rest that is Christ. There is a, I, I'm, I'm worried that I'm not hitting this dead on. So I'm going to say it one more time and then I'm going to play you one minute of a song and then we'll be basically done. There is Sabbath in a sense of we need to recharge our batteries. And that's true for day-to-day living. But you and I also struggle to be right with God and to be in a relationship with God. And if we think that we do that through our own efforts, we're severely wrong. And one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to be puffed up with pride because we think we're good enough for God. Or we're going to be so distraught by our sinfulness that we're going to feel useless to God. And what God is saying is, is I've done the work for you to be a new creation. You just rest in my work. And my peace will come to you. Because you, you, you don't, you, you need it in a physical sense, you may need a Sabbath. But in a spiritual sense, it's desperate for you to have that. To enter into my rest, where the work is done for you to be reconciled to me. I'll tell you the song that I love on this. Let's see if we can make this work, because the sound wasn't working before. But if it does, I want you to hear this Keith Green song, and then we're done. Let's see if this works. And, whoops, hold on, we'll try this. 
Can you turn it up at all where you all can hear this? Brent's microphone, is it on? Yeah, let me say Shabbat Shalom. May you have the peace of God's Sabbath. God, it's my prayer for everybody listening that they will enter into the rest that we have with you spiritually, even as we experience the physical recharging of our batteries based upon the instructions you've given us for our own good. And so, Lord, would you take those who are hearing this message and stir up in their hearts a longing and a desire and a walk in your rest. The completed work that you have done for us in Christ, Father. Through which we pray, amen. See you guys next Sunday. God bless you.